Welcome to Rugged Theology, where we talk about church planting, theology, and drink coffee. Welcome to Rugged Theology. I am Adam Diamond, your host, and today with me I have Mr. Matt Leahy. Hey, everyone. Curtis Rogers. How's it going? And as you know, my good friend, Stephen Da. Annyeonghaseyo. <laughs> I do not have the gift of interpretation, so. I do. He said, hello, everyone. <laughs> All right, guys. So today we are going to do a scripture screw-ups number two. Uh, so we did this back in, I think it was around Christmas time of last year. We did our first scripture screw-ups. And uh, yeah, we just talked about you know, verses that people take out of context uh, you know, verses and, that don't mean what you think they mean. And these are verses that we didn't do before, the, the, the four that we got today? They are. They are. Okay. So these are probably the most common ones. I think last, around Christmas, we focused more around Christmas verses. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this time, these are very popular ones that we're going to focus on. Uh, so the first one is Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, and then Philippians four thirteen, Matthew eighteen twenty. And 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Um, so Jeremiah 20 and 11, I believe you've got it open, Matt. Why don't you read it out for us? Yeah, sure. So Jeremiah 29, 11 goes, uh, For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declarations. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. All right. So most people will quote, quote that and say, no, the Lord says no. I no plans I have for you to prosper and give you hope. And people are just like, yeah, like God wants me to prosper. He wants me to have hope. Is that what that means? Uh, well, hmm. I, th- hmm. I think that at this point, this is one of the reasons why I would actually say to most believers, when somebody quotes a Bible verse at you, open your Bible. Don't chicken nugget, as we like to say here. Well, Actually, I'm just going to say, open your Bible. And so, no, really, seriously, open your Bible and read it. Because, mm-hmm. I, I mean, yes, it is true that God desires the good of his people. Mm-hmm. There are texts that are going to... Uh, but Jeremiah 29, 11 is not that text. I mean, it, the fact... It, I, I mean, if you, as you can tell by the fact it's Jeremiah 29, 11, it comes right after Jeremiah 29, 10. <laughs> Anybody got an idea what Jeremiah 29.10 reads? Hit us, Matt. Let, let me read it for you. For this is what the Lord says, When 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. So anyone listening that has claimed this verse, have you first spent your 70 years in Babylon? <laughs> That's going to be a really good question. <laughs> and it's not even just that, because if you work, just skip down to verse 15... Because you have said the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon. Thus says the Lord concerning the king who sits on the throne of David and concerning all the people who dwell in this city, your kinsmen who did not go out with you into exile. Thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I am sending on them sword, famine, and pestilence, and I will make them like vile figs that are so rotten they cannot be eaten. I will pursue them with sword, famine, and pestilence, and will make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. Now, I, I might that be doesn't wrong. doesn't sound like prosperity to me. Yeah, I might no, be wrong, but not. yeah, that's not the type of prosper, prosper and hope that I feel like 
most people think of when they hear this verse. No, and and of course, there is beautiful truth in Jeremiah 29. Mm-hmm. Even Jeremiah 29, 11, it, t- it tells a great story of how God, in certain instances, has taken his people, a remnant, in the midst of very dark times and saved them with a promise for future benefit. But it isn't just a blanket statement for anybody to take simpliciter as if it's what God is saying to you right now. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, if you take it one step further, there's nowhere in scripture where God says, I'm going to alleviate your suffering. I'm going to remove your suffering this side of eternity. And you see that time and time again. I mean, James even talks about that. Yeah. Consider it all joy when you encounter trials of, of many kinds, there will be suffering. Right. And so you, you cannot take this text and say, you know what? God wants me to prosper. God wants me to be wealthy. God wants me to be healthy. Because that's, first off, like Steve, you were talking about, Jeremiah is talking to a people who had just been or are in exile for, what do they say in in verse uh, 10? 70 years they were in exile. But, But take a look at what he says in verse 11. For I know the plans I have. Right? So this screams of God directing Israel into exile for a purpose that he was going to fulfill in his plans. He knows his plans. Right. And of course, those plans are good and they're noble and they're holy, but they're not necessarily for things that are going to be always happy, joy, joy for the people at all times. No, that's right. Now, that's not to say that uh, all of. all of being in Christ is suffering and darkness and evil. That's not what the text says either. But let's be honest, suffering is a real part of being a Christian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I worry sometimes that we use Jeremiah 29, 11 as a way to kind of ignore that. I mean, what it's a great thing to be able to say to somebody when they're young and haven't had any real suffering in their lives or any difficulties or any problems, but I don't know. What happens when you've been betrayed by your family? What happens when you find yourself in exile from from things? At those times, you could actually use Jeremiah 29, 11 well, Mm -hmm. but the problem is going to be you've already used it in the terrible way, and so you don't know that this text is actually written for you in your darkness. Right. And that's exactly, uh, again, like Jeremiah is looking at or, or speaking to a nation who has no home. They're in exile. They're, they're cut off from the land that God had promised them. And, you know, this is some context back into Jeremiah. You know, Israel was God's covenantal uh, people, and he made some very specific promises to them many, many, many years ago. And it would look as if the Israelites were like, Lord, where are you? How are you fulfilling this? But Jeremiah comes along and says, no, this is what the Lord says. Mm-hmm. I know the plans I have for you. It may be really dark right now, but my plans are to prosper you despite your circumstances. Now, of and, course, specific people. Yes. The ones yeah. he has actually in covenant with. Yeah. And we can, we can be sort of thankful that this is not a blanket statement about prosperity because that would, that would be pretty sad because, you know, ultimately God preserves his people for himself, returns them to Israel, you know, and, and, and through these people come the Messiah. Yep. I mean, if this was just some blanket statement about me having a, a Learjet, I mean, I don't, I don't really see the hope of the gospel in that. Right. And of course, it's not a hope for anybody except you and your Learjet. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it would be pretty awesome to have a Learjet. <laughs> yeah, this is, seems to be more about a God that's in control, right? Who knows what's going to happen to you, who knows 
you know, what's, what's coming your way. And it's, it's more about resting in God. These people are in exi- exile for 70 years, yeah. or they will be in exile for 70 years. And, you know, and then he goes on again, like he said, the pestilence and sword and famine. And so it's like, you know, this is going to happen, but, you know, fear not because I'm with you and I'm not going to let this end all of you completely. Right. And, you know, it reminds me of a time like when I left my last ministry position, I had, you know, a period where it was really hard and I couldn't find any work. And I, I called out to God and, you know, as we moved to St. John's, it was really, I was really struggling with what to do. Should I even be in ministry? And people kept telling me, and, you know, and the people I really respect now, you know, next, whatever God is going to use you for, they're like, it's going to be great. So really, you know, good for him, for his glory. It's going to be a big thing. Um, which, you know, I have no doubt I'm working here now, my own mission and people could say, Oh, you're prospering now, but what, what if the church plant I'm, you know, working to start downtown, what if that fails? Right. What if that's God's will? And Jeremiah twenty nine eleven is saying that ultimately God will work all this all all this together for good and for glory, but that this isn't about you primarily. Mm-hmm. It's about him. Yep. All right, guys. So let's go on to the next one here. So this is another very popular one, Philippians four thirteen, and I got it open here. Uh, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Who's seen that on a mug or t-shirt? Wait, or this, is, this is about hockey or football or something. No, right? I got my skinny jeans on this morning <laughs> because of this passage and this passage alone. Yeah, and like I flew to work today but on my own power, just flapped my wings because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Hey guys, listen, I got a lot of really good marks on my exams in high school because of this passage. Yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> sure not. All right. So again, let's tackle this. Like, why does this verse not really apply to any of those situations? Okay. Well, again, I hate to be a bit of a repetitive person here, but open your Bible. Like, Mm. what does the rest of the text say? You're at verse 11. Verse 13. Verse 13, Mm. sorry. Then read some of the other texts around it, preferably the entire book, but we don't have to do that now. Hey, let me read the first... or the. From verse 10. That sounds good. All right. So check out what it says in verse 10. I rejoice. This is Paul talking. Mind you, okay? And there, there, Paul is a interesting character when you look at his history. You, well, what was the, the book where he, he goes into talking about everything that happened to him, all the suffering? What was that again? Oh, I can't remember. I'm not sure where it's found, but he was well, shipwrecked three times. Lashed 39 times. Stoned. Right? Yep. Yeah, like he didn't have a good life. No, and so knowing that, like there's a bit of background to this. So listen to what Paul says in in verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again, you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. This was a guy who went through the ringer. If you remember when he was converted, uh, you know, God said to, um, I can't remember his name now. Uh, It's just slipped me. I am going to show him how much he will suffer for my kingdom, right? This is a guy who went through the ringer. And so Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, went through... Well, he went through a horrible bunch of things, 
all for the sake of God's glory, all for the sake, all planned out by God, you know, go back to Jeremiah 29, 11 and our understanding of that text as well. <laughs> and God was working through all of it. I mean, we are still, we are sitting here 2,200 years or 22,000 years later in, in St. John's, Newfoundland, Canada, a place that Paul could never have imagined existed and talking about the ministry of a guy named Paul. Mm because God worked through him, and God used him, and God did great things through him, but great things through a lot of his own suffering, and through and he was able to remain faithful through that suffering, which is, by the way, what I think Philippians 4.13 is about. It's about being able to do follow through and do the things that God calls you to do, even in the midst of great difficulty. Mm-hmm. And it. It really pulls it, I mean, because he says, so I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. So he's saying in every circumstance, whether you are, you know, in a time where you're really low, you're really poor, you're hungry, or when you have a lot going for you, it just seems like you're really prospering, which can happen. Right. Uh, but you know how to be content in Christ in all these things. And that's why it becomes so perverse when we try to make this a, a verse about how everything is gonna uh, everything is gonna turn up roses immediately for me. I mean, look at Job, right? God allowed Satan to wreck this man's life, right? And yet he could still say, "The Lord, blessed be the name of the Lord." The Lord gives and takes away, right? And so, like in a sense, Job was content. He learned contentment in who God 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 was and God is. He knew who his God was. He knew that his God was righteous and was he was covered in boils head to toe. He used broken pottery to pop them and scrape them against the skin. Right. His house or his, you know, whatever caught on fire, and he lost pretty much all of his family. Yep. All right. And this, wasn't that in like one day? Uh, in a single day, the he, he had three servants who came to him. All his stuff got mm-hmm. stolen. Mm-hmm. His cattle were killed. His cattle, uh, his cattle were killed and burned up. His family had a windstorm blow in and kill all all of his kids, his wife survived so that she could tell him off later about cursing God and dying. So like he went through a horrible time and yet God was at work in all of it. But yet Job's mistake was not declaring that God knew the plans he had for him. Yeah. And to prosper him. And- <laughs> or God, w- or he didn't know that he could do all things through Christ who strengthens him. He could have just right. named it and claimed it and pretended that this mm. wasn't important. And that's not what happened. And uh, honestly, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find anywhere in Scripture any individual who actually meets that kind of thing, you know, using faith to, I don't know, uh, I, I guess people call it walking in the victory now. And and the victory that we have is actually over sin and death, yep. not yeah. over poverty and... Personal Goliaths. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of things that we could actually, yeah, we should do that another one. That, yeah, we, we we've probably got a lot of these ahead of us. <laughs> All right, guys. So I mean, yeah, that's a great one. On that again, like growing up in high school, I mean, that was such a popular verse to quote and to say. And like you said, Curtis, at sports, right? It's our. It was always sports, like. I can make it to the NHL because of Christ who gives me strength. I'm like, really? I can make it to the that's, NHL. That's literally, that was you. Oh my. And and, and I mean. The perversion of that isn't that, you know, you're aiming too high for yourself and you imagine that Christ... You're aiming too low, guy. Yeah, like, that's, seriously. yeah exactly. Your you're, affections are not strong enough. 
you, you think that the greatest thing that could happen to you is you could go to the NHL. You're offered eternal life with the God of the universe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're worried about whether you can get into the NHL. Preach, brother. <laughs> uh, so next one. I think this is Matt's favorite one. I think he's pretty worked up with this one. Not worked up, just passionate. I, I, I wish I could do a, a face palm. But it's hard to convey face palm over audio. So just like tap the mic. Let me, let me say I can do this. <laughs> I think we got that. I totally I, got that. I think it picked up. No, so Matthew 18, 20, and I'm sure if you're listening, you've heard this. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. I'm just going to read from verse 15. If that's okay, we got time. We got lots of time. Give her. But you, like, you, you just, again, you can't chicken nugget your Bible. You can't take these. I mean, you can take these passages out of context. There's nothing stopping you, but... Just don't. You'd be wrong. You'd be wrong. So let me read from verse 15 because it sets a whole bunch of context for what uh, Jesus is saying here in verse 20. So here we go. If your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if you won't listen, take one or two others with you so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. If he doesn't pay attention to them, tell the church. If he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. So, it means that only two or three people need to gather together to be church, right? So, basically, right? I thought it means we don't need to go to church then to be. Christian. Well, there you go. There's another, like, <laughs> except that's not anywhere close to what that means. So, <laughs> I I can't skip my Sunday service, go to the cabin or the cottage for some people, get on jet ski ski with like two or three of my buddies, and say I went to church. Exactly. That is not. That is totally not what this text says. Man, this is about church. Discipline. Flat out. Yep. Full stop. It's about church discipline. That's why I emphasized at the beginning, by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. Is that why you said two, what, for when two or three are gathered, I'm there among them? Steve, you have made a beautiful observation. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you miss that, though. If you only look at that verse, you miss But what the full conversation Jesus is having and the fact that he references the very statement, two or three witnesses beforehand, which means it's likely, very probably, is linked to when he brings it up again. Exactly. Well, but the thing is with this, too, like we, we can't lose sight of this. Like Church discipline is it's big. It's, it's a significant element of, of church life. And, and what Christ is saying here is when two or three gather together and you agree on a form of discipline, you're going to bind it in heaven. Right. The mm-hmm. Holy Trinity is going to agree with it. And what you decree on earth, as far as this discipline is concerned, is bound in heaven. What you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. That's a huge statement that I think we all right. don't spend enough time just thinking about. Well, and two, the problem is going to be that a lot of what the reason that the problems that we have, at least with these first three texts that we've dealt with, is that we we 
tend to do a form of eisegesis, that's reading something into the text, specific to making it all about us. Mm. Like, we want this text to be about us, but we don't want to talk to be about us in the sense of disciplines, so we come up with something else and just take the verse completely out of context. We commit narcissus, like narcissistic exegesis. Mm -hmm. So it's literally reading yourself into text that does not apply to you. Right. But then... No, you go. Yeah, I'll say like, like, you know, specifically, again, most often used for that, Jeremiah 29, 11, that mm-hmm. these promises are for me, that God is talking about me specifically here, that he's going to right. prosper me. But no, he's, in, in that instance, he's talking about Israel. He's not talking about you. Right. But here's <laughs> the other thing, too, when you come and look at this passage, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. Boys, there's four of us in here. Yeah. Does that mean Jesus is not here or the Spirit's not here? What about one guy when he's reading this Bible by himself? Does that mean the Holy Spirit or, or you know, he, he's just not there as well? It's like, sorry, everyone, you lucked out. You need one two, more person. You need two <laughs> or three. Because if you've got 20, that's no dice. Yeah. Right? I mean, and, and that's what happens when you take this out of context. If you're going to apply it in the sense that, you know, I was out at the cabin and I was with the boys and we're all Christians. And I know I didn't go to church, Pastor. I didn't go to church that Sunday. But I was with other Christians, and you know, we did have, have we we did pray, maybe a little bit. I don't know. We say grace. And well, so, so I had well, well I, I said the name Jesus a fair time many times. So obviously, I must have prayed, right? But if, if that if that's your application of that, then what happens when there's not two or three? Like like Matt said, like are you then without the Holy Spirit when you're reading your Bible, when you're praying, uh, when you're it's like sorry, Holy Spirit, you can't come. Right, like well, uh, maybe yeah. or like story. the Holy Spirit wants to enter. It's like, oh, it was only one person. You guys prevented me. You, stop, you quench the spirit. Get in. Yeah, yeah. I can't do it, Captain. <laughs> right, there's but, only there's only one guy. I, just, I, I need more people. Like, yeah, sorry, Father. Sorry, Jesus. I, I just couldn't do it. Right, but no, that that's that's the no logical conclusion exactly. of taking it that way. And of course, the problem is going to be too that the reason that we take it out of context is because we want to find something in the text of Scripture that gets us to the conclusion we want to get to. Uh, absolutely. And we make it a bit us. Like you said, this, this whole Jesus thing. Yeah. All right, guys. So we have one more, which is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. So let me take a second here and pull it up. So 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation is overtaking that is not common to man. Actually, no, let me read the part that most people like to say, because... Most people don't even read that. Most people will say, God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. And they stop there. They only read the full verse. So you've just read the middle of the verse. Exactly. Not even reading <laughs> the whole verse. No, not being literally the end. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Amen. I'm going to name it and claim it. But, you, but wait a second. That, that's <laughs> not even what most, most people come to, come to know. They will say, God won't let... let Anything? How does that go again? God won't allow me to have more than what I can handle. I think it's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what that's what they say now. Well, well, that's in the Bible. Well, actually, that's precisely the opposite of what the Bible teaches. All right, guys, let me let me read out the full passage here because again, we only only read the beginning. Uh, so the, let me take this here. So verse thirteen, only verse thirteen. So let's read the full verse. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. Okay. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. We know that. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to what? Endure it. Right. 
that changes things just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it, it's clear that people will try to imagine that the text tells us that God won't give you more than you can handle, when in fact the text actually teaches that the God, God won't give you more than he with you can handle. Mm-hmm. Considering that he's God, that's an actually an awful lot. Again, it, it's not about me. Right? Not centrally. I mean, there are some things in my life already that were really hard to handle. Yeah. Right? If it was without God, I don't know how I would have handled it. And of course, this is, uh, it fits well with the other text that we were looking at when it comes to, you know, uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Mm-hmm. It's a similar misinterpretation that we, we come to. We imagine that God will limit the amount of problems that we have to what we can possibly deal with as if God's main idea is to make us comfortable, when in fact the point that God is trying to do with us is to make us, well, rely on him. But then what do you do with like Romans 12? You know, conform no longer to the patterns of this world, but be renewed by, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? So there's an implication that the patterns of this world aren't good. Right. There, you follow them, you're going to be less like Jesus. And so God's like, no, go away from that, resist it fight against it. Right. You're going to have suffering. You're going to have this, but all for the point of maturing you. Again, that's in James. It's a great book. Everyone should read it. Because you're preaching through it. Uh, No, I mean, scripture is a great book, Uh, but this is often used, again, that small passage, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, which we then change to, God won't give me anything I can't handle, which is not in scripture. Right. Um, But we say that when hard things happen. So like if there's a hard decision or let's say worst case scenario, you have a test coming up and you're waiting for results on whether you have cancer or not. Right. People will use this then, and this is the issue. People will use this to then say, God won't give me anything I can't handle, which means I'm not going to get cancer, which means when that doctor calls, I'm not going to have cancer because I can't handle that news. I can't handle having to go through those treatments. But then what happens when the doctor calls? Or meet you in, and you meet him in his office and he says, I'm sorry, you have stage four cancer. Right. You go back there's, to Jeremiah there's, there's 29 no, There's nothing else that I can do for you. Did you get that? I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, but I mean, like you, you're claiming these verses, but what happens when they don't line up with your interpretation or the reality that's facing you? Well, and this is kind of the dangerous part of it, because when you do things like this, the problem with narcissus and any form of eisegesis is that it helps you to misunderstand what God has revealed to you as truth. Mm-hmm. And so the result is going to be there's only two things that you can really do with it if that's if that's the situation you have. You can either change your interpretation because you're wrong or the more likely thing you imagine that God lied to you when he didn't. Yep, which then calls you know and you start to doubt God, you start to doubt whether scripture is true, you start to do everything that you believe, all, all because either you've been told the wrong interpretation, you haven't read it for yourself, or you've just misinterpreted it wrong yourself because you've taken it out of context, right. and you haven't properly understood what the Word of God is saying to you. And of course, this is why it is so really seriously dangerous to have this kind of eisegesis in pulpits, because honestly... If your pastor isn't going to tell you to open your Bible and isn't going to help you to open it there, you're probably not going to do it. Mm-hmm. And if you don't do it, you're not going to know the full depth and breadth of what God has revealed to us 
for these things. I mean, the fact is, as we just dealt with, Philippians is directly about helping us to deal with difficult situations. Mm -hmm. Corinthians is directly about how do you deal with the temptations that you feel are too strong for you. God gives you a way of escape that you may endure it. Mm. I'm seeing a trend here, too. I mean, these are the most common ones that we hear almost all the time. I mean, it doesn't take much to even go on Facebook and see this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Just this one verse quoted. But there, there seems to be a theme here that we want a way out of suffering. Right. We want a way, we want a Jesus, we want a God, we want a Christianity that is going to take suffering away from us and is going to give us, you know, as, you know, for lack of a better word, our best life now here on earth. Right. And of course, I mean, to, you know, coin a phrase that somebody else has probably mentioned a bunch of times, you don't want your best life now. If you get your best life now, you're headed for hell. Mm -hmm. Preach. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, so this has been great, and if you're listening, I hope you've enjoyed this. I mean, you might have known this before. You, you might not have, uh, but we just want to reemphasize that irregardless of where you find yourself, <laughs> that you would open your Bible. Irregardless? Irregardless. Irregardless. Is that a word? R no. No, it's not. <laughs> the word is regardless. Here in Newfoundland it is. Sounds like you need to unthaw your speech and try again. <laughs> unthaw. We say a lot. Anyway, so yeah, we're having a bit of fun here, but open your Bible, read your Bible, read the verses that come before the verse and after the verse to get it in context, because then you can really understand. And if you see like something like a therefore, read before it to find out what that therefore is there for. Is there for. And, and, and I mean, I just want to accent this too, because there is so much more in the text of Scripture than you're getting if you just leave these verses independent. There is far more there in Jeremiah 29 mm -hmm. for you. There's more there in Philippians for you than just these individual verses. Amen. All right, well, open up your Bibles, read them, and we will catch you again next week. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Rugged Theology. Rugged Theology is a podcast of Mile One Mission. If you'd like to know more about Mile One Mission and our work in Newfoundland, please visit us at www.mileonemission.ca.